Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. The nominees for Best Motion Picture are The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, and Sion Chafin Producers. Frost Nixon, Brian Grazier, Ron Howard, and Eric Fellner, producers. Milk, Dan Jinks, and Bruce Cohen, producers. The Reader, Anthony Minghella, Sidney Pollock, Donna Gilati, and Redmond Morris, producers. Slumdog Millionaire, Christian Colson, producer. And the Oscar goes to... Slumdog Millionaire, Christian Colson Producer. Vikas Swarup is a diplomat and author whose work includes Six Suspects, Accidental Apprentice, and Q&A, which was made into the blockbuster movie Slumdog Millionaire, which garnered eight Academy Award wins, including Best Picture, four Golden Globe wins, and just about every award under the sun. I'm very excited to have the very funny, the very kind, the very talented Vikas Swarup on the show today. Vikas, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thank you, Derek, for having me. Uh, you and I have been corresponding for, what, almost eight months now. Yes. So I'm happy that finally this this uh, this came about. Yeah, and you were patient with me trying to... I, I was very discombobulated trying to get my system up and running. You were very patient for those listening. That is just the kind of man Vikas is, so thank you so much for that. And before we get into the interview, I want to get a few things straight. So I know you're a diplomat, and... Um, now you, you have changed positions because you, you, you were a high commissioner of India in Canada. Now you are a secretary of India's Ministry of Internal Affairs. Do I have that right? External Affairs. External Affairs, yes. So what is the big change in your job, if you don't mind talking about it? And, I, and I, 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 I'm just curious from a personal point of view. Uh, so basically, in my current position, it's called Secretary West, which means I'm responsible for India's relations with countries to the west of India. So, uh, for example, all of Europe is under my charge. So the big difference is when I was in Canada, I was one ambassador reporting back to Delhi. Now I have 40 ambassadors in all these countries reporting back to me. Uh, and of course, it's a different perspective uh, to, be, uh, to be in Delhi, to be in, in my home country and looking at the world uh, from, uh, from this perspective rather than being outside and looking into India from there. So, the, so that's the basic difference. But of course, the job remains the same. Uh, promoting international collaborations, international partnerships, and bringing the world closer together. Yeah, and you're definitely, and we're going to get into this, you're definitely a people person. You've always been about people, and, and I love that part about you. Um, and, you. and I also thought I read where you can speak three languages, maybe more. <laughs> Look, all foreign service officers are supposed to learn one foreign language. So my foreign language happens to be Turkish, which was my first posting in Ankara. So, of course, that was about 33 years ago. So I can't say I speak fluent Turkish anymore, but I would say I speak 50% uh, Turkish and of course English and Hindi. Hindi is my mother tongue. English is the language I grew up with because the school I went to was an English medium school. So I would say I speak two and a half languages fluently. And how is the, I mean, I'll ask this because it's a current event. How is India coping with COVID-19? Is it, because I know in Massachusetts here, it's terrible. Um, how is it in India, especially where you are? 
Yes, first of all, my condolences uh, to uh, all the lives that have been lost in America. Uh, now, your country is really the one which has been the most deeply affected, more than a million cases already. For sure. In India, we have done fairly well in the sense that our cases have now gone up to about 43,000, but the number of deaths is only 1,333. Wow. Uh, and most importantly, Derek, this is the important thing. Our doubling rate, uh, the rate at which you know the number of cases double, is much lower compared to the U.S., compared to Spain, compared to Italy, compared to many other countries. Right. No. And, and that. And that's. Yeah. I was going to say with the amount of people in India, that seems like a phenomenal. Like a, such a. Good, I mean, it's unfortunate those people passed, but when you consider what could be, uh, that's that. That's good news. I would say, relatively speaking. Absolutely, considering we have only 1.3 billion people. Wow, wow, that's amazing. You know, and before I do get into your life, and I wanted to bring this up right away, it was my fault, but I have to say, I loved one of you, I was looking at a couple of your tweets and one of your most recent ones. Um, I got to say, I lost a, a man that I've been a fan of forever. I'm sure you're much closer to him than I was, but Irfan Khan, what a beautiful soul, what a beautiful man. Truly a loss for everyone. Uh, Absolutely. A loss Absolutely. for everybody Correct. worldwide. Absolutely. You know, he and I were sitting next to each other at the Oscar ceremony at the Kodak Theatre. And, uh, you know, since then, I got to know him quite well. We spent a week together in Cairo and I met him off and on. I met him in Jaipur. I met him in Bombay. I met him in Delhi. Uh, and, you know, and he was a great guy. So when I was launching my last book, which is The Accidental Apprentice, I just requested him. And immediately he said, of course, it will be a pleasure and an honor. And, uh, and there he was. So really, I mean, not only has the world lost a great, uh, a great personality, a great talent, I have lost a friend. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's just, and I'm sorry for that because he, he does, he's one of those people that, you know, obviously I wouldn't know, but you, you just know he's a good human being. And, you know, just quickly for those listening, um, in, in Life of Pi, when he was speaking towards the end of the movie, he's so good. I feel like he was speaking to me. That's how powerful and gifted this man was and that doesn't even include what a wonderful human being he was so uh, my condolences to you and those around the world what a what a beautiful soul no absolutely and one day after after he passed away we had another very famous uh, actor from the indian film industry called rishi kapoor that's uh, right he was undergoing treatment he passed away the very next day that that's yeah i i am so and i know this is part of life but i have to be very honest with you because i am so sick of just people i mean it's, like i said it is a part of life but it seems like we are losing many more people than we should be for a variety of reasons and um just kind of just kind of down a little bit on that you know no absolutely and this pandemic that is sweeping the globe i mean uh, so many quarter of a million lives already lost uh, i think it's really really tragic and this is the time when everybody has to come together to fight this together Yes, for sure. Well said. You know, and and you know, getting into your life a little bit here, I know you're. From what I read, I hope it's correct. You come from a family of lawyers. Have they always embraced your writing? And I know you've, you're a diplomat first. You always have been. But it's clear you're to say you're an effective writer would be an understatement. Um, were they always supporting of your of your writing? Because many times I have actors on or a director, and and, and families are not supportive of that. Um, how is your family in, in react? Because you have written more than just books and novels. I mean, you've read, you've written for Time Magazine and some other things. So um, were they supportive of your writing the entire time? Well, first of all, I got into writing pretty late in my life in my, when I was in my 40s. So it was not as if that I was, I mean, in my school and college days, uh, I was writing pieces for the school magazine, which I suppose everybody does. But the last thing I ever published in school 
was a short piece for my school magazine called The Autobiography of a Donkey. Uh, that was way back in 1979 or 1980. And after that, uh, as you know, I got into the Indian Foreign Service. And for 15 years, the thought of writing fiction did not cross my mind. It was only when I was living in London between 2000 and 2003 that I thought of writing a novel inspired by the city of London, uh, which is such a, a hub for the world of English language publishing, and also by some of my contemporaries in the Indian Foreign Service who were trying their hand at fiction. And that's how Q&A, my first novel, was born. So yes, my, my parents were absolutely delighted and amazed uh, at this new turn in my life uh, because they always thought of me as a diplomat, but I had become this writer. But let me tell you, when I was growing up, I grew up, as you just said, in a very legal environment because everybody in my family comes from a, the legal family. My father is a lawyer. My mother, before she passed away, was a lawyer. My grandfather was the Solicitor General of India. My uncle is a lawyer. My aunt is a lawyer. Wow. So everybody thought I would be a lawyer because, you know, when you join the family profession, it's very easy. The cases come to you automatically. But my mother got so fed up with all the legalese going on at the dining table, she issued a diktat. If any of my sons joins the legal profession, I'll kick him out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I would, how, yeah. So that's how I ended up being a diplomat. So, I mean, to have this, I mean, like I said before, and I'll say this probably two more times, your, your, your caring, your ability to deal with other people is amazing. I mean, it's all over your Twitter feed. It's all over your work, your writing, who you are. Um, do you find that being a diplomat, does it help you with writing or vice versa? Are there any skills or qualities that you use as a diplomat that aid you in your writing? Or is it just simply two different things that really aren't related in any way? No, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And many people ask me this, you know, because as I told you, not only am I a writer, there are many people in the Foreign Service who have also published books. So people ask this question that how come members of the Indian Foreign Service find it easier to write? So the answer I give is I said, look, what is our primary profession? Our primary profession is dealing with words. Because when you are responsible for relationships with foreign countries, words become very important. A wrong nuance can, send, uh, can set uh, relations with another country into a tailspin. So we are taught to use words very carefully. And of course, we use these words in our daily life when we write official reports, etc. But I suppose if you want to turn, try your hand at fiction, then that training to use words carefully comes in handy. Yeah, and it would seem so. Do many of the uh, dignitaries or diplomats you meet from other countries, do they know about what an amazing writer you are? Do they know that or is it just they don't know that part of you? Do you feel like how, how does that kind of play out? Yeah, so let me I'll be very honest with you. I never, ever reveal that I'm a writer. Right. When I meet people in a, you know, in a diplomatic setting, I always I'm the deputy high commissioner of India or the high commissioner of India or secretary West. I never reveal that I'm a writer. Uh, so uh, there are some of people who, who know, of course, and many who don't know. And then it causes a huge surprise, uh, you know, uh, to discover that there's a, there's a writer who's written a book which has been made into an Oscar winning movie. And it changes people's uh, perspective immediately and it changes <laughs> people's perceptions. And suddenly I get requests, uh, can I get a selfie with you? You know, can you write something in, uh, in, a, in my book for my son or something like that? So that's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting feeling uh, to have this sort of dual life uh, so to speak. Yeah, that's really well said, and I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, you're a very humble person. I don't ever see you saying, you know, hey, I'm this wonderful writer, and yeah, I imagine that you're that type of person. And you mentioned Q and A, and that's the book I will talk about here. You know, you said you started writing in 2003. 
I think you finished it, if I'm if my research is correct. I want to say within two or three months. Is that correct? It's absolutely correct, Derek. I wrote it in two months, mainly because my family, my wife and my two children had already gone back to India and I was all alone. And it was published, I mean, which is by publishing standards pretty quickly. When you consider from when you when you had it published to when the movie was made, as far as how books go, it all happened relatively quickly. Am I correct with that? Yep, except I had no I had no idea that the book would even be published. Uh, so when BBC asked me a question that when you were writing this book, could you visualize it as a film? I said I couldn't even visualize it as a book because, you know, for a first time writer, what, what are the chances of getting published? And, and at the heart of this book, for those listening, is something called the hole in the wall experiment which is unbelievable. I, I mean, I was reading about you, and then I got sidetracked, and I was reading about this hole-in-the-wall experiment, which, which is, is why I love these interviews, because I, I learned so many new fascinating things. And basically that is, and please correct me at any time, Vikas, so basically it's they put a computer in a, in a slum in India, and uh, children on the streets were going onto the computer and basically teaching themselves how to use the computer, how to navigate, how to become more knowledgeable when it came to the electronics. Is that the heart of the experiment? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, uh, is a, as I said, it is based on the natural curiosity of children. Uh, we think that a slum kid cannot use a computer because it's a very advanced piece of hardware, but that's because we have never given a slum kid a computer. What these scientists want to wanted to show was you give a slum kid a computer and he'll start using it just as any other kid. And that's exactly what happened. They put this uh, computer facing facing the slum with a mouse, and then they just observed. They said, let's see what happens. And within three months, all those kids in the slum, they started navigating the World Wide Web. Yeah, and it's, and it's kind of evolved. I mean, it did evolve a lot since the inception, right? We went from one to many, and then it kind of evol has evolved since. Is, is that a correct uh, statement as well? Correct. Correct. It started out from India, but then it went to Laos, it went to Cambodia, it went to a whole lot of countries. Because basically, anywhere where you have, uh, you know, underprivileged children, I think this is a this is an experiment that will work. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know, again, get into politics, but it just shows when kids given the opportunity, no matter, you know, rich or poor, you know, given the resources, all kids can succeed in some way. Absolutely. And that is what uh, inspired me because I thought to myself, I said, hang on, a slum kid is using a computer. That means a slum kid can also participate in a brain quiz and win. Yeah. How could an uneducated waiter win a, a brain quiz? Right. It's such a beautiful concept. Like I, I, I love that. And I know it's 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 a work of, of, you know, fiction, but the themes and aspects both in your book and in the movie about humanity are very, very real. Yes, uh, I would say so. And and the great thing is that people who have read this book, they say, yes, you have set it in India, but actually it could be set anywhere. It could be set in the east end of London. It could be set in a slum in, in Mexico or in Brazil. It could be, it's a universal story of somebody beating the odds and emerging as the winner. Yeah, and, and I don't want to gush too much about India because I do have a secret love affair with India. I don't know what it is, whether it's Slumdog Millionaire, Life of Pi, Lion... I don't know. These movies get to my heart, I, I, because and they just don't let go. I don't, I, and I'm not just saying this because you're from India and I'm speaking to you. I, I I gush about these movies all the time. I don't know what it is. It's the cinematography of India, the way, the beauty of India, the music. I I don't know. It's just India has taken a hold of my heart in many ways. Well, thank you for that uh, because truly India is an amazing country. 
I mean, it's the most diverse country on the planet, first of all, because we have every kind of skin type represented in India. We have every religion in the world in India, you know, uh, and that's why and that's what makes India such a fascinating country. It's yeah. also a country that lives in several centuries at the same time. You go to a village in the deep in the interior and you may find people still, uh, you know, going on the on a bullock cart. And then you have the latest uh, Maseratis and Mercedes going on in the in the big streets. And then you have some tribes in India, which I have written about in my second book, Six Suspects, who are still hunting with bows and arrows. Right, right. And, and you know, uh, for those listening in the States, it is also the world's largest democracy as well, which is very important. Of course. I mean, that uh, I didn't even mention it because it's 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 taken for granted now. India is. is the largest democracy in the world. Uh, where people have freedom of choice, uh, freedom of belief, uh, freedom of expression, and they can do pretty much what they want. Yeah, so important, so important. You know, so just talking a little bit about Slumdog, and I've heard you talk about your book being made into a movie, and you, you, you were speaking to, I think, a Google, it was a, it was a couple of years back, it was a Google um, yes. uh, motivation, and you had such a great quote. You said it's like a lot like giving away your daughter to marriage, and it was just a very heart, <laughs> a very heartfelt quote. But you know what? At the heart of this movie, Slumdog Millionaire, is your work, right? So that has to mean the world to you, right? At the nucleus, at the core of this movie, is you. Because of you, this movie was able to evolve. Am I looking at it in too much of a fan way? No, no, no. I think, look, uh, you're looking at it the correct way, the way every writer would want his book to be looked at. Uh, when I went to the Oscars, you know, they send you a big list of do's and don'ts. Don't bring a recording device. Don't bring a camera. Don't bring this. Don't bring that. I didn't take anything. I just took my book with me, a copy of uh, Q&A. And because, you know, Johnny Boyle was going to be there, the entire cast and crew was going to be there. And I got everybody to write something in the in the book, wow. which, I, which I had with me. And you know what Danny, what, uh, Danny Boyle wrote? He said, without this, there would have been nothing. So that was the creative spark which led to Slumdog Millionaire. If there had been no Q&A, there would have been no Slumdog Millionaire because the kernel of that idea that a slum kid participating in a brain quiz and winning that was exactly what went into the movie as well. They changed some of the stories, but the USP of the book was this new way of narrating a story. And that was exactly the USP of the film. When you have uh, Danny Boyle writing that, does that, I mean, you're a very confident person, I assume, because, you know, does that ever, does that strike a chord with you? Like, you know, maybe, you know, this, maybe I am meant to be a writer. This is, this is my, this is my, I know you have kind of two lives in a way, but. That has to mean the world to you. It almost affirms your ability as a writer. Well, I wouldn't say that the film validates the book because then that would be giving too much importance to a film. I think uh, a book is validated by the love and respect uh, it receives from the readers. So for me, that was the primary motivation that I'm writing something I'm writing for my readers. If then, yes, a filmmaker finds that book, thinks it has cinematic potential, wants to make a movie on it, or, you know, it's a bonus. And certainly I'm not at all suggesting that I'm not happy that my book got made into a movie because certainly many more people have seen the movie than have read my book. So definitely the book went to a different level by being transformed into a film. But the book stands as a book and the film stands as a film. No, that's well said. You know, and, and speaking of that, um, do you, when you um, when they were making the movie, did Danny Boyle or, or, or Simon Buffet, did they, see, did they seek your opinion on anything because you were the... Cre <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, you know, uh, it was some British middle class, uh, middle aged uh, men trying to do India <laughs> and none of them had actually been to India. So, uh, you know, there were some obvious uh, mistakes in the first draft, which I don't want to say publicly now on your podcast, which I had to gently correct. 
uh, and they took all those suggestions on board, of course. And then they went and did their own thing. The only time I discovered that the movie was actually being made was when I read a news report in India that uh, these filmmakers had been arrested in Agra for shooting without permission. <laughs> yeah, that would be an issue. Yeah. It, it, so that's where you would, uh, you know, it's amazing how things unfold because as much as you had to participate and kind of help a bit, you know, um, I feel like is my love affair with India aside, I feel like Danny Boyle has a, a respect and a love for India as well. I think so. I think, uh, you know, he had never been to India before Slumdog Millionaire. When he went there and when he saw Dharavi, for instance, I mean, his eyes just popped out because he just saw the cinematic potential. And there are many people, of course, who criticized the movie. They said this was poverty porn, etc., etc. But I really feel that Danny approached this film, approached the subjects with a great deal of humility and with a great deal of respect. And that's why I think it, it shines through in every frame of that movie, the way Anthony Dodd Mantle has shot it. You know, it's very kinetic. You know, it feels as if it's very tactile. It feels as if you're actually in the heart of the action. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the time, you, you, you know, you bring your book onto the red carpet and so forth and into the premiere. What was your take? And I know you've been asked this probably a million times, but I, I, I've never heard the answer. What, what was your take the first time you saw the film? Were you blown away? Were you proud of yourself? Were you? And, and again, I'm not trying to give too much credence to the movie and not to your book, but how, how did you feel the first time you saw it? Were you honored? What, what was your reaction? Yeah, so the first time, Derek, I saw this movie was at the London premiere uh, of Slumdog Millionaire, which was the closing f uh, film at the London Film Festival. Uh, so this was, I think, 2008. Uh, I saw this, I sat in the theater and I watched this movie. And my God, you can't imagine what went through my mind because characters which were only living in my head were now appearing on a big screen and were going to get into the heads of uh, millions of other people. So it was really a very, very, uh, it was a very, very empowering thought, a very, very empowering feeling that something which I created in two months, uh, sitting at my house in London, was now going to become a global product, uh, which the people all across the world are going to be asso uh, associated with. So it, it was really quite a humbling experience, I, I must say. And I was blown away by the sheer brilliance with which Danny Boyle, uh, you know, put this uh, project together. I think the acting by the child actors was absolutely amazing. The music by A.R. Rahman was fantastic. And of course, the cinematography by Anthony Dodd Mantle was out of the world. Yeah, oh, absolutely well said. And, and I, you stole my next question. I was going to say the actor, the various actors, and especially Dev Patel, really did your character, re really did the characters a lot of justice. They did. Uh, and they've, in fact, met me at the, at the premiere because we went to the after party and then he was there. And he showed me his copy of Q&A. And he said, you know, I have read this book like a hundred times. And I could see it was dog-eared. He had marked uh, with his pen in a whole <laughs> lot of places. So it really, it really showed me that he was trying to get into the character. He was trying to get into the mind of Ram Muhammad Thomas, my lead character, who unfortunately got metamorphosed into Jamal Malik in the movie. <laughs> yes, yes. And I have to say, you know, one of the most beautiful themes that I love about this movie and your book is that life gives us the answers, right? Love, life provides those answers and i don't know for me that's that's one of the key components why do you think your book and slumdog is so special to people because i mean it's almost unheard of from a movie point of view to see a movie get an 8.0 with 800,000 votes that is that is so rare to get that high of a review why do you think people love this why do they gravitate to this 
Yep, two or three reasons, Derek. Uh, first of all, as I said, it is a it's a well put together product. Uh, you know, with amazing music, right. great acting, great cinematography, uh, and great direction. But more importantly, try to remember when did this movie come out? This movie came out at the tail end of 2008. And what is special about 2008? The layman shock. Mm. You know, the global economic crisis. Right. So this movie came at a time when people were losing jobs, people were losing hope. They wanted something that they could cling on to, that could inspire them. And that's why I think this movie... Uh, became such a phenomenon because here they saw a story of an underdog who was given no chance in life who actually beats the dog beats the uh, odds and emerges as the winner yes well said yeah. well said and, and and thank you for giving me all of this time i have three quick questions for you um when you have success like this so early as a writer uh with q a does it put pressure on you because six suspects i have not gotten to it yet but from everything i read it's a phenomenal read um but does it put pressure on you moving forward as an author? Did you feel pressure like, I have to duplicate what I've done as far as success goes? Or are you simply just driven by your passion for writing? Look, the second, the dreaded second book syndrome is a reality. Yes. If you interview any other author and you ask them, you know, what happened after your first book, they'll all tell you that, you know, getting the second book out uh, was a bit of a struggle. And it is called the second book syndrome. Mm. Uh, so, so if I say that, no, uh, the, the second book syndrome is a problem for every author. But when the first book becomes such a huge hit as mine did, then it becomes an even bigger problem. But the good thing was, even after, uh, you know, even uh, before the movie had come out, I was already working on my second book. Uh, and at that time, there were six different stories floating in my head. And, you know, my publishers dropped lots of hints. They said, why don't you write another uh, another book with the same characters and we'll call it another Q&A. And I said, thank you very much, but I don't want to become a Spider-Man franchise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there were these six characters in my head. And I said, why not, uh, you know, combine them all together and create a murder mystery with six suspects? Yeah, and I got to tell you, when you were just, again, go back to this Google, um, you, you were talking about the book there. And it just sounds so intriguing. This guy keeps getting away with these murders, breaking the law, and he's continuing to get let off the hook. I think this would make for a phenomenal movie. And I thought I read where it was maybe in production for a, for a movie. Is that something that's happening, or can you not talk about that? No, no, I, I can. So it's very interesting, Derek. What happened was a British company had taken the rights for uh, uh, Six Suspects even before the book had come out. Exactly the same thing that happened with Slumdog Millionaire. The rights were taken one year before the book even came out. Wow. So, and then, you know, they appointed a director and they developed a screenplay. And then the project went nowhere. And then they changed the director. They got another director. And again, I thought, okay, something is going to happen now. And nothing happened. Then they changed a the third director. Then they changed a the fourth one. And six years passed. And I said, look, they wanted another extension. I said, look, maybe you're not meant to make this movie. So just drop the idea. Maybe, maybe you know, it's, it's meant for somebody else. And a Chinese company was after my life. Can you believe it? A Chinese company was after my life ever since the book came out that, look, we love this book. We want to make a movie based on this book. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't have the rights. The rights are with this British company. So they say, if ever that British company uh, fails to make the movie or reverts the right back to you, would you think of us? So I said, yeah, OK, I'll think about you. Then when I decided that, you know, I'm not going to go with this British company, I called up these people. I said, look, it's six years down the line. Are you still interested? And they say, yes, yes, yes. This is our dream project. So I said, OK, here you go. Rights are yours. So can you believe it? <laughs> it's a Beijing based production company. They are developing the screenplay of six suspects. It will probably be with all Chinese characters. 
exactly the same things, but it will all be happening in China. And the good thing is there is an Indian production house which is doing the Hindi version of Six Suspects. And that is going to be a pre, uh, that is going to be a web series for uh, Disney Hotstar. Oh, very cool. That's very cool. Good news all around. Excellent. And, you know, I've had other authors on the show because I've had, you know, the uh, the movie Martian. I had Andy Weir, Big Fish, Dog Day Afternoon, The Giver. I've always asked them the same question I'm about to ask you. Is there ever such an emotional attachment where you almost, and, and you said previously that, you know, um, they bought the rights a year before it was finished, but is there an emotional attachment? You, you gave the joking uh, um, comparison to giving it, your daughter away, but is there ever a, such an emotional attachment to your work where you're almost so worried that you don't want anybody to touch it, that you're, it's like a child going off to college, you're very nervous, you're very hesitant. Is that ever, do those thoughts ever appear in, in, your, in your mind? Look, this is something, again, that varies from author to author. There is a very famous uh, British author called Alan Moore. Uh, you must have heard of him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the author of Watchmen, etc., who refuses to give his uh, name to the movie. It's another matter that Dave Gibbons, who's his co-collaborator, says, I have no problem and these movies get made. But he does not want to associate with the film product at all. Uh, but there are others who say we have no problem at all. Uh, as far as I was concerned, I have always believed that the two mediums are different. You know, a book is a book and a film is a film. It's a celluloid medium. A book does not have songs and book does not have, you know, uh, movement uh, in the sense of uh, physically seeing something happening on the screen. But a movie has, a, has all that. So when somebody wants to make a film based on a book, I don't have a difficulty at all. In fact, I actually tell them, please don't make a frame by frame reproduction of the book because you have to bring something of your own to the table, provided you remain faithful to the soul of the novel. I think that is very important because you have seen films which bear no relationship to the book at all. And that's so well said. You, you know, and let me ask you this last question. What is your family's reaction to you as a writer, especially when it came to Q&A? being developed into Slumdog Millionaire. What did your, your children think? What did your, your wife think? Were they proud of you? Obviously, stupid question, but what, were their, what was their reaction when all this unfolded? No, no, I mean, they were, they were delighted because they, again, uh, generally civil servants remain in their quarter, so to speak. You know, I mean, we do not really go out of our boundaries. Uh, so to see somebody go out of the, of the boundary that is imposed on us as civil servants and actually produce something uh, was, was an eye-opener for them. And my kids were delighted. Uh, before I knew it, they were getting me to sign copies of the book for their English teacher, saying, you know, my teacher, can, my teacher refuses to believe that my dad wrote Slumdog Millionaire, so we want to prove it to her. So, Dad, can you sign a copy for her? And this is her name, so to speak. And my wife, of course, was also uh, extremely delighted. And I wrote in my, in my book that I was able to write this book only because they gave me this, the space to begin this project and the strength to complete it. Wow. So without family, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I'm incredibly proud of my family and they are really my bedrock. Without them, I don't think, uh, I mean, I, to write, you need to be in a very creatively, in a very good space. And a good space is only possible when you have a good house. Mm, well said, well said. What a very special person, special family you have. Is uh, Before I let you go, is there anything you wanted to get out there, whether it's a book or something diplomatic, anything you wanted to throw out there? Uh, well, just this, that look, uh, this uh, pandemic has had a couple of uh, positive effects, effects also. Uh, one thing you must have already noticed, the air quality all over the world has increased dramatically, mm. uh, improve, including in Delhi, where the skies are absolutely crystal clear. The air pollution is completely gone. You can actually see the stars at night. That's one. 
and secondly this enforced lockdown has sort of impelled the writer in me to start creating once again so my last book came out in 2013 that's seven years ago and i'm happy to say i'm working busy working on a new one all right excellent news excellent news all around you're right there is a a bit of hope here in this in this pandemic well said his name is Vikas Swarup. Uh, one of you are just such a kind human being. Thank you so much for not giving up on me and coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Derek. It was a real pleasure. As I said, I have this is my first podcast that I've done, and I'm so happy I did it with the Monday Morning Critic.
ਜਾਣਾ ਜਾਂ ਜਿੰਦੇ ਸ਼ਾਮੀ ਆਣ ਕੇ ਤੱਲੇ ਆ ਜਾ ਸਰੀ ਮਾਈ